Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. Today, we have a really interesting episode focusing on the real estate industry and market from a millennial woman's point of view. And one constant theme throughout our interviews with millennial women is that they are fearless. They have taken those cracks in the ceiling that older generations have chiseled and busted through them. So I'd like you to meet Sarah Williams, founder of Society Real Estate, a privately owned, female-run, bespoke real estate agency in New York City. Sarah has achieved a clear understanding of what the old school and the new generation of real estate enthusiasts want from their real estate agency. She has developed strategic alliances within the industry and abroad to provide a diversified mix of personalized services that cater to her distinctive clientele, running from high net worth individuals to legacy family wealth management, celebrities, institutions, and to the young rising stars of the millennial generation. Sarah earned the Rookie Salesperson of the Year in 2011 by Real Estate Board of New York and the following year received the Rising Star Award. Sarah has had her own agency since 2019, which serves New York, Miami, and the broader global market. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Sarah, I'd love for you to talk about what attracted you to real estate, especially being a sociology major from Columbia. Sure. I grew up with really humble beginnings. We lived in a small apartment. My brother and I shared a room for a long time. And then when we moved, it wasn't a very nice neighborhood. So I always had these long-term visions of having a beautiful home, being in a safe neighborhood. I really appreciated probably more than somebody who was maybe born into it, just the aesthetics of a home, the safety of a home. And I wanted that. So later in life, I also wanted to work in business and I didn't want a ceiling on my income. So real estate is the perfect career path for that. And I got to integrate things I appreciated, things I wanted, and then also not have that cap on my income. And I was able to use my entrepreneurial spirit to create my own business. We've discussed millennial women as home buyers. Current statistics state that millennial women are the largest demographic purchasing homes independently in the U.S. And they make up about 48% of independent home buyers. And by the way, 41% of millennial women pay more than 20% down for their down payments, while the medium down payment for first-time homebuyers is 7%. So talk to us about being a millennial woman selling real estate. I like what you really said earlier in your opening comments about women being fearless and taking advantage of you know, opportunities that women have today that they didn't have generations back when they weren't able to work, they weren't able to be the head of their household, they weren't able to get a loan. So I really appreciate that. And I feel grateful that I'm in a point in history where I can take advantage of that. So I think the part I just want to emphasize is just that I'm in a point in time where I can take advantage of my life. And in addition to the women who are spearheading this acquisition and putting more than 20% down when the median's only 7%, 
I too am able as a millennial woman to open and own a brokerage in the most competitive city in the world. And it's really that fearlessness that women have today and millennials have that I was able to take advantage of myself. You started your career with a high-profile team in an extremely lucrative market, New York City. Talk a bit, without revealing names, about the real estate team approach today. What does it consist of? How has it changed? And what do buyers need to know when working with a team? So when you have a team, there are immense advantages. You have a diversified skill set. You have many people there who are always available. For instance, if you're a seller and the lead agent can't show up that day to show your home, you can have somebody there to show it. The team collaborates and they're able to offer the client a great service. I think that some tips or some things that I can make the audience aware of or things to look out for as well is when you have a team, and oftentimes I see sellers hire the star of the team and the star of the team shows up for the listing appointment and they get the owner very excited. And then throughout the duration of their six month exclusive, juniors are showing that person's home. And that's not what the owner signed up for. So what clients need to know on the sell side is that when you hire somebody, you need to know who in the team is going to be showing. And I even recommend putting that in your contract, your exclusive agreement, so that if you're hiring a star, you're getting a star or somebody equal, and you know who's coming in and out of your home. On the buy side, I think that there's also a large advantage to working with a team. For instance, me and my teammates oftentimes pair up on buyers So if we have a client coming in town for only four days and they need to make a decision, when you have two people or even three people working for one client, you can make that happen much quicker and nothing falls through the cracks. Oh, nice. Nice. So Sarah, what surprised you about the team approach? The main thing people should be aware of is that when they're hiring a team, they oftentimes hire a team leader. But what they get is a junior or somebody else, and they get very disappointed by that. And in my experience and in my company, we keep it very small and tight knit. So I respect everybody in my team and I trust them to deliver the same quality of service as me. Therefore, I don't mind splitting the commission amongst a few people to ensure that the person hiring me or us is taken care of. When you have a team that's way too big, it's maybe 10, 20, 30, 50 people, it's kind of a free-for-all. First of all, you need to have a manager who's on top of everybody, which oftentimes they don't have. They're not working cohesively. And my approach, as opposed to maybe the old approach with the team I started with, is to have a small team where we're in constant communication and we all have things to offer, and you could feel comfortable sharing your commission if it means that you're giving a better service to the client. That's an excellent answer. Overall, are women treated differently in this type of real estate model? I don't see that much variation in how women are treated, but I do think there's an ideological variation or misconception 
where people think real estate's a male-dominated business, and it might be if you're looking at all of the numbers combined, but if you look at the top, and I'm speaking about New York right now, if you look at the top and the women who are the CEOs of these major companies, think about Douglas Elliman, which is Dottie Herman, or the head of Corcoran, which is Pam Liebman, and of course, Barbara Corcoran founded it, or Bess Friedman, the CEO of Brown Harris Stevens, and a lot of the top major brokers doing huge numbers, they're women. So I think that rather than there being a different treatment in women, it's just the perception is off. Excellent. I've been reading about Gen Z and how they are beginning to redefine ownership through crowdfunding and other shared ownership options. Do you see the current real estate agency model evolving in real estate, especially with online and discount agencies popping up? The internet seems to have lowered the barrier to entry. So this is the question I get a lot. And it's not so much from clients, it's from other agents or people within the industry. Am I worried about these discount opportunities kind of lessening my role in the industry? And a lot of agents are kind of worried about that. But when you work in the luxury sector, which we do, I see that those clients value their time more than anything. And they're always looking at the utility of their time and how to allocate their time to get the most enjoyment out of it or to get the largest return. So with my clients specifically, they rather use their time to be the best hedge fund manager they can, the best political activist, the best housewife, or just to travel the world and enjoy their lives. They don't want to learn how to do real estate. And oftentimes these discount companies require the client to do the work. So yes, you could bypass a buyer's agent and then you're going to do the whole work. So you're going to do your board package. You have to do the searches. You need to communicate with the managing agent and you will learn a new kind of skill set and even a mini career to get a few points off of your purchase price. And it's very, very challenging. And it's not going to yield you long term a big enough discount for the time that you kind of wasted. So I see that it's not going to hurt me and my clientele and my relevance to the service I provide. Excellent. Can you go into what led you to start your own agency a few years ago? Yes. So I have actually been a broker for almost 13 years. And I've always wanted to open my own brokerage, but I didn't quite know when the right time was. And just for those of you out there who may not know how it works, when you work at a firm, you get a split. And oftentimes, if you're producing a lot, your split's pretty high. When you leave your company at any given time, that split lowers. So let's say you're on a 90-10 split and you decide to leave your company, it might go to 50-50. And at any given time, you may be in contract with a dozen properties. So it's very hard to time your leaving. And I felt that although I wanted to leave my other company for quite a few years, I just had too much to lose. So in April 2017, when I had only a few things in contract, I decided this is the right time. I'm going to leave some things on the table, but not too much. 
So that was the timing of it all, even though I probably wanted to launch about five years prior to that. But I started my career going to Hong Kong and actually giving informational speeches um, and lectures on New York real estate acquisition and what it meant from a foreign investor's point of view. So they could relate you know, New York real estate to their market in the mortgage perspective, the brokerage, the legal. And I found a lot of success in that, kind of just facilitating these transactions from the Far East to New York. I knew that I wanted to have my own firm because everything I did had to do with my visions, the money I invested, and my own personal brand. And I dreamt about opening a company, but it took a long time and the timing needed to be correct. And I finally did it. And I'm very happy because I'm in control of my brand and I get to do what I want. So just to give you an idea, when I used to go to Hong Kong early on in my career, I didn't have to ask a manager. I didn't have to ask anybody. Later on, when they formed alliances with companies in the Far East, I had to then go through a bureaucratic process of getting approvals. And that really kind of ticked me off because I had been doing this years prior to them implementing those rules and I paid for it all and I had a lot of success. So to now have to get permissions and go through a process and use their agents, it didn't make sense to me anymore. That was brilliant. I mean, you really approached it with kind of an emerging business mentality that goes beyond the local area. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So you specialize in working with high net worth individuals and families other than the money involved. What are some interesting characteristics of your clientele? So I used to actually write articles for various publications and I created an acronym that stood for real estate, art, fashion, and travel. It was called RAFT. And all of my clients tend to have this interdependence of the aforementioned. So their real estate ties into their art, which ties into their fashion and ties into their travel. So most of my clients are interested in their lifestyle and they're very convenience driven and they want to make sure that they can enjoy their art, their fashion, their travel. And what I help them do is make their life seamless for the city they're purchasing in. I would say almost 90% of my clients own multiple homes. And because they're only at that home for short periods of time, maybe a few weeks, a few months, or half the year, they need the right services. They need the conveniences because when they're there, they want to utilize every moment in that city for that time. So we generally look for full service buildings that provide security. Oftentimes, my clients have friends or family staying when they're not there. So I think that that is probably something interesting is that they're just really not there as much. So when they're there, we have to make it very seamless and make it tie into their lifestyle. Oh, nice. So in general, what are the differences between like the two major markets that you serve, New York and Miami? What would be the differences that you see people wanting in those two different markets? So New York is a very busy city where people live to work or go to school. 
meaning they're my client's children are going to a school or they're working. So they want location, Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, if the husband's office is in Midtown or if their kids are going to Ramaz or Dalton, which are two private schools. So they want to be in close proximity to their work or to their children's school and activities. And in the building, they want high security and a lot of amenities, full service building. In Miami, it's a little different because Miami is a secondary market and they're not concerned about proximity to their office. They're looking for water. They're looking for a place to put their 100 foot boat or 200 foot boat. And during the pandemic, the prices skyrocketed in South Florida in general. So mostly you have to be very wealthy to afford a house on the water. And there are many houses on the water. And everybody who has a house on the water wants to put a boat. But there is a a size restriction. So if you have 100 feet on the water, it means you really only have 80 foot boat that can fit there. So I would say it's highly competitive to where you can buy, where you can have the largest boat. I love that. And it sounds like the men and women are in sync. People are really looking for very similar things. You're absolutely right. Men and women are pretty much on board in both markets. They want similar things. Talk to us about the state of the luxury real estate market Other than boat size, (laughs) what do people need to know and how do these trends trickle down to the general local residential real estate market? During COVID, it was a crazy time. When we first started in 2020, prices originally went down and that was the trend. People thought it was the end of the world and everything was collapsing. Then it suddenly spiked up and it stayed up in New York and Miami, but more so in South Florida. At this time, the trend is a little weird with all the economic variations in the news, what's gonna happen, interest rates. And so I would say that right now is an an interesting time where we don't really know what's going on, but we're about to see because the selling season in New York is from uh, right after Labor Day till Christmas. And in Florida, it starts around Thanksgiving until March. So when the numbers come out, we're really going to see what's going on. And I would say just to stay on top of the numbers, because everything we have now is speculation and nobody knows what's going to happen. But if you do find your perfect home and everything you want or close to it, I don't think waiting and waiting is going to help because in both markets, what people don't realize is that there's not a lot of inventory if you look at a 10-year graph. So we are at historical lows for inventory. So when you find something that you really love, don't wait for the economy to potentially go down if you don't have to. Look for the things you like, go after those things. If you are concerned about finances, don't take huge risks wait until the numbers come out would be my advice. Excellent, excellent. Do you see more people looking to move abroad uh, regardless of their income level or wealth? Do you feel that the U.S. real estate market will remain a strong investment? I definitely do. In my markets, at least in New York, people have to be there, right? So people have to be there to work most of the time. That's where they find more opportunities Even during COVID, when a lot of people started working for home, they still need to be in New York City. 
So New York market's going to stay strong. And even if people have to leave, there's a flood of people to come in right behind them who've always wanted to live in New York and never had the opportunity. In Miami or in South Florida, people are using that as a backup plan and as insurance, just like you would purchase health insurance just in case you got sick. People are purchasing in South Florida just in case there's another lockdown. And they really enjoy kind of more the right wing politics with regards to restrictions. They don't want to be told what to do. If their city gets locked down, they want to know they can go to Florida and not wear a mask if they don't want to. With regards to moving abroad, I've seen a huge interest because of COVID restrictions of people wanting a home base that they can springboard throughout Europe. So I saw a lot of interest in people wanting to buy in the UK because in France, they allow UK residents to visit, whereas they didn't allow Americans for a long time and vice versa. So the most interest I saw was people wanting to buy in the UK if they wanted an English speaking hub. And most people that I know and most referrals that I've given this year were to the south of France. And that is on the wealthier side. I've seen a huge, huge pool of people wanting to buy in the south of France and wanting to have a vacation home there. Oh, wow. And how much do those homes usually run, just for curiosity's sake? <laughs> okay, this year I referred quite a few buyers to the south of France, ranging from $3 million on the low end to $40 million on the high end. Wow. Okay, great. Good to know. <laughs> Can you provide our audience with three to five really great real estate tips for choosing a realtor as well as three to five market tips? Sure. I'm going to break them up with buyers and sellers. If you are a buyer and you're looking for the right real estate agent, I highly recommend you hire somebody you like a lot because you're likely going to be spending a lot of time with that person. When an agent is working with a buyer, you tend to spend the most time as opposed to a seller because sellers are usually out of their home when the agent is showing, whereas a buyer is with you at all times. So at the end of some of my buying experiences with my clients, I feel like they're a family member because we've gotten so close during that time. So in my experience, I've learned that you can look to hire the smartest and the best person, but if you don't like that person, you're not going to want to put in the time to look at the properties. So hire somebody you like. When you're a seller, hire somebody you trust. That person's in your home without you being there. What type of gut reaction do you get when they're in their home? Are they respectful of your shoe requirements? In New York City, everybody wants you to remove your shoes. Do you trust that person to actually have everyone remove their shoes or put foot guards on walking through your home? Are they going to respect your showing schedule that you put out there? So I think a lot of the sell side has a lot to do with trust and respect because they're in your home when you're not there. And sellers oftentimes hire an agent who makes a bunch of promises but they never follow up to see if that agent has actually gone forward with those promises. So the tip I would give to sellers is, okay, if an agent comes to you and they put together a marketing presentation, hold them accountable, ask for the deliverables. 
okay, you said you're going to make me a beautiful brochure. Send me that brochure. You told me you were going to advertise on Facebook and Instagram and Google ads, my property. Send me proof that you did that. What are the numbers? How many unique visitors came to my listing? Things like that. And I don't think that sellers do that enough. And it ends up being better for the agent as well. Let's say if you need a price reduction, if you have met all of your promises and nobody has made an offer, then you can clearly show the seller what's going on and and talk about a price revision. So I think being held accountable is the best marketing advice I can give. Excellent. That is excellent, excellent advice. So I just want to thank you so much for your insight and expertise. It's really been fun and a really fascinating conversation. Um, One of the primary takeaways that I got is that people really need to stay abreast of the changing real estate industry from how sales are conducted to technology to market changes. And the summary of that is that you need a great real estate agent. So whether you're looking to buy a $20 million property or $200,000 property, it's really about your relationship with that agent, right? Whether you trust them or like them, depending on what side you're on. As we like to say here, you know, a little information and some good questions can really, really go a long way. So Sarah, any final thoughts and where can people find you? Thank you so much for having me. I think you're absolutely correct. Be with somebody you like, hold them accountable and have a good agent by your side. You don't want to be learning a new industry for a relatively small return on your income. You want to be able to hire and pay the price for the right person that's going to help you either make an acquisition investment or get the most bang for your buck in a sale. And you want to enjoy the process during the time and trust them. So feel free to reach me at at SW212 on Instagram. You can visit our business page at societyrealestate.com spelled with an e s o c i e t e realestate.com or you can visit us at our website at societyrealestate.com thank you everyone for listening to the single lady states podcast to learn more about what sarah discussed and to join our community go to our website at singleladiestates.com also we've got some really great news we launched our first single lady states merchandise store and you can find our signature mug and notebook on our website.